In 2004, <clears throat> Shrek the sheep was found. Shrek the sheep had hid himself for six years in a cave. His wool had just continued to grow. His gift, his wool, had continued to grow. But it only surrounded himself. It never lived its potential in benefiting others. I want you to pay attention to the screen, and I want you to meet Shrek the sheep. Now, Shrek lived 16 years, and I guess that's a long time for a sheep. Let me say this. Shrek, Shrek, well, they, where he was at, they herd sheep with helicopters. And when he would hear the helicopter, he would go into a cave. Okay? And he would hide. And he would not be gathered with the other sheep, and he would never be sheared. You saw what happened. His wool was almost covering his eyes, his nose. When they sheared him, they found that his wool, that first shear, made possible the making of 20 men's suits. That's how much wool he had on him. Okay? But because of Shrek, his fear, uh, his wandering from the flock, whatever it was, the potential of his wool was not used for those six years. And the amazing thing is, we know from sheep, if he would have been sheared, his wool would have grown back, and he could have been sheared again and grown back, and his wool would have benefited many, many more. But his wool was kept to himself. Today in our Scripture, we're going to see Jesus speak to people who tend to keep their religion only for themselves and how they look at their relationship with God. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I'd like you to open it to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, back part of your Bible, beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and we're going to end the 19th chapter, and we're going to move into the 20th chapter today, okay? Gospel of Luke. In a little bit, the words will be put on the screen. If you do not have a Bible, I encourage you to pick up one of the New Testaments and just keep it each week. And uh, the New Testament page is page 70 if you have one of those New Testaments. And uh, there'll be sections I'll ask you to underline, parts I'll ask you to circle. And that way when you read the Gospel of Luke later, maybe many months or maybe a couple years, if you'll look at the underline, underline part or the circle part, you'll understand the Scriptures a lot better than just reading it through quickly. Before I get into the Scriptures, I want to call attention. You have... If you have your worship hand out, there's a page for filling in blanks, okay? Uh, on there is some information about First Step that is going to take place this September or this month, the 22nd. And if you're interested in learning something more about connection, then you need to read that little article. Not now, okay? Later. But you need to read that article and you need to respond. You need to let me know if you're coming because we set up workbooks during that two and a half hours, there's, there's some blanks you fill in and things like that to follow what I share with you, and you'll get to keep those, but I do need to know who's coming. And so, you want to pay attention to that, uh, opportunity to learn more about connection, understand who we are, how we relate to the world around us, how we relate to each other, how we relate to God, okay? And I'd invite you to come and be a part of that, okay? One other thing, uh, many of you know the older man that greets all of us on a normal basis, Guy Baker. Uh, this is probably going to be Guy Baker's 
last Sunday with us, okay? He's in a time of transition in regards to his life. And Guy and his family's right down here, right? Yeah, there, okay. And uh, if you haven't got a chance to talk to Guy this morning, uh, by all means, you might want to take an opportunity to just thank him. He wants to thank Connection. Get that. He wants to thank you and I for the environment and the relationships we've created. And uh, Guy has given himself tremendously. And as I say, his health has taken a turn. His life's going to be in transition. And we need to lift him up in prayer and remember him and Nelsba and their family during this time, okay? But uh, let's get back to Luke. Let me say this about what we're going to be looking at. Jesus is going to be talking to religious people. Now, here's what we think. We think religious people are only people who relate to God. And of course, religious people are people who relate to God. But we all, we all tend to develop a religious perspective about life. Some of us have a religious perspective about how, if I'm a male, how a male ought to relate in marriage to their mate. Some of us have a religious perspective on how we ought to relate to our children, our parents. And we also have a religious perspective on how we relate to God. We're going to meet some people who have decided on their own rationale with the experience that life has brought to them how they're going to relate. And it's sad and yet true that often religion is used only for self and not for others. Sort of like Shrek having all that wool, but he only kept it to himself. And the potential of what God had put in him was not being carried out into the lives of others. Religion, religion often tends to lead an individual or a group of individuals to only look at themselves and what they want and not what God would have for the good of others. And that's why different religions often conflict because they decide, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I interpret the relationship with God. Now the result of religion that becomes internal in the sense of, what do I want? Instead of, what does God want through my life in regard to others? Brings two results every time. One is, it causes that religion or that person to begin misusing others. Manipulating others for one purpose. To get what in the mind of the religious person they think is the correct thing in life. Do you hear me? God has no input. Others have no input. Religious people tend to misuse or to manipulate people, to get in their mind what they think is correct in the situation they find themselves. That's the first result. That's the main result that touches us. The second result is it makes God very angry. And we don't like to talk about an angry God, and yet the Bible talks about a God of wrath. And it makes God very angry when religious people push their way and do not think about how God wants to work through them in the lives of others. Remember, I said this could be religion in the way you relate to your mate, your family, the world. See, we just think it's church, but it's much greater. Some of you have developed religious positions, not in the sense that you've got a doctrinal statement on how you relate at work. And your religion always condescends. Those people are too hard on me. It's always their fault. I can't get along with them. You are religious in that. You know because it makes no difference what somebody else says. It makes no difference what maybe your mate says, your family says, the the supervisor says. You're going to act the way you want to act because that's what you do because your religion's all about yourself. It's not... What can I do at work to help others? And I could use that in many illustrations. But Jesus is going to deal with some people who are religious in nature, and we're going to see His response. 
So there in Luke, look at the 45th verse of the 14th chapter. I mean, 19th chapter, I'm sorry. It says, Then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. Okay? The temple, this is the season of Passover, the season of the festival of unleavened, unleavened bread for the Jews. Just Passover is one day, unleavened bread festival is about a week long. It's a time where Jews would come from all over Israel and travel for days to get to Jerusalem. And they wanted to go to the temple. Jerusalem basically was on a hill. You went up to Jerusalem in a sense. Like if you go out to Denver, you'll drive from here, you'll drive up a mile high over that distance. Well, Jerusalem was like a city on a hill. And the temple was built and it was an imposing structure and people would travel to Jerusalem and they would see the city from a distance and they'd see the temple and they'd get excited because the temple was where God dwelt. And so they were excited about getting there. And their purpose of coming was to offer a sacrifice. To give an animal sacrifice because of things that were not right in their lives. Sacrifice for sin. Well, because it might take days to get to Jerusalem, you couldn't bring an animal. If you did, chances are on the journey, the animal would get blemished or something. And so what? happened is there in the temple, the religious leaders set up a commerce system where people could buy animals to be sacrificed. And of course, because it was sort of a monopoly, they charged just huge prices and made profits off of this experience. And so the temple became a place of commerce Okay, now we're not, it's, it's, this, this has nothing to do with if, if somebody, if we had a singer here and we sold CDs, okay? This was, they sold these animals that people needed to relate to God for a high price of money that benefited the people who were the people in charge, the religious leaders, the priests, the Pharisees. Okay, that's the situation. I just want to say this. Sometimes people use church for financial gain. Okay? There was an illustration not too long ago of a pastor in Carbondale that embezzled, in a sense, $100,000 from his church. So we could say he used his church for financial gain. Some people attend a church so that their businesses might get the people from the church to Go use their business, financial gain. We know sometimes people will use church for financial gain. And sometimes people use church to gain power. Not financial, but just personal power, clout within the lives of others. They tend to try to build a power block. And where maybe in the world they don't always feel so powerful, in the church they feel like what they say, what they do, has so much clout. And often people like that, then, if they don't feel like they got power, they'll pull back from their involvement. They'll say, well, if they won't listen to me, then I won't do anything. I'll just pull back. Or I won't give my offering. And we know in the history of the church, that's true also. I call attention to that because you see the sole purpose of those people in their experience is they are religious. They are religious and they have decided this is how I'm going to do things in the church and it's for personal gain. It's for self. And it's sad but it's true. Often religion is all about self and not about others. And Jesus is going to enter this kind of situation and He's going to speak to it. We've got to remember something about church, about coming together, God's people, in our faith, in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And the early Christians had to be reminded about why we come together. Okay? Look on the screen. Look what the advice that was given to the Corinthians. This was a church that had division. People played a game of power struggle, little groups. Brothers and sisters, 
I encourage all of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to agree with each other and not to split into opposing groups. I want you to be united in your understanding and opinions. That was the position Jesus wanted the early church to take. Paul wrote this. You're going to see that Jesus is going to speak to these religious people. Look at the next verse I want you to pay attention to. This was written by Paul to Timothy, who he mentored in the faith. He said, remind believers about these things. Timothy was a young pastor who was out helping churches that Paul had started. Remind believers about these things and warn them that in the sight of God, not to quarrel over words. Quarreling doesn't do any good, but only destroys those who are listening. In other words, when you quarrel, you create disunity. When you create disunity, you hurt people. But you see, if it's all about self, I've got to make sure you understand it's got to be done my way. And so quarreling becomes a part. Disunity. And it hurts others. Look, look at what Peter wrote. Finally, everyone must live in harmony. Be sympathetic. Love each other. Have compassion and be humble. Now folks, these are commands. These are not options if I want to. Peter is writing to the early Christians and he's giving these commands. Verse 9, he says, Don't pay people back with evil for evil they do to you or ridicule those who ridicule you. Instead, bless them because you were called to inherit a blessing. Thinking of others. Thinking of others. The reason I call attention to this is because, you see, you don't come to connection and you don't buy animals to offer. Jesus Christ paid the price for our wrong behavior, for our sin. He was the sacrifice. You don't have that. And if you don't understand what, we're talk- what I'm talking about here, you'll get lost in this passage and it lose significance to you. It is religious people that Jesus encountered. People have decided, this is the way I will react in a situation. And you know this is the way they always react in a situation because they always react this way. And Jesus is going to encounter these religious people. It's not about what God wants, it's about what they want. And sometimes you and I need to be careful because that's how our life becomes. And Paul and Peter, they were encouraging Christian people, people who would meet like you and I are meeting today. 2,000 years ago, they'd meet like you and I would meet. Not as large as groups as we meet here. They would meet in homes. And they would remind them, When you relate to God, it's not about you. It's about others. And the gifts and the talents we have are to be used to input and influence the lives of others. Well, let's get back to Luke 19. Let's go on now, okay? Verse 46, He said to them, The Scripture declares... Now, you ought to circle the next two words, My temple. That's a very significant statement for Jesus to make. He said, the Scriptures declare, my temple will be a house of prayer. With Jesus quoting this Scripture, Jesus is saying, I'm God. This Scripture of God saying years ago, now I speak to you. This is my house. This is my temple. Now folks, we don't have a temple today. That temple in Jerusalem, the Jews don't have a temple where they would travel from the world. Listen, Islam has a mosque they will travel to in Mecca. Many world religions, sometimes when they're, they're, they have a place they'll go to. We don't have a temple. We don't have a place to go to. That's because the New Testament teaches that we are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We don't have to make a journey. We have to realize that the Holy Spirit lives in us. We just got to make sure this life is on a journey for God. Not for self but for others, using the gifts and the talents that God has given me for the benefit of others. If I don't, I have those gifts and talents, but they never reach the potential for which God has given them to me. And so Jesus says here, my house, my temple. He's saying, I am God. Look on the screen. He's quoting from Isaiah. 700 years earlier, God gave this word to the prophet Isaiah. I will bring them to my holy... Look what he says. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem. I already described to you how you can see that. Jerusalem's sort of like going up. 
and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. These are God's words 700 years before Jesus goes to the temple. And folks, I'm going to tell you, if we follow the chronology of the New Testament, Jesus went to the temple twice and had this encounter with the religious people. Two different times. Once early in His ministry, and He tried to remind them they didn't listen. And then now, the last week of His ministry, before He goes back to be with the Father, before He is put on the cross. And He's trying to tell them They need to learn something about religion or faith or a relationship with God. And it's not all about self and what I can get out of it. Look at verse 46. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. In other words, you've turned a relationship with God into a relationship that you take what you can get out of it. Some of you are here because maybe your parents told you you had to come. And so you're here because you want to get out of at least not a relationship where parents are badgering you and and disciplining you because you didn't come. Some of you mates are here because your mate said, come on, I need you to come to church with me. And you come for what you get out of it. You placate. You sort of get your mate to be peaceful. Some of you might come only because you like the music or because of something else that you get. we got to be careful that we don't have that attitude of thieves. I'm coming for what I can get out of this. And it's not the relationship with God. It's what I want. And you see, in that situation of these people coming to the temple, having to buy the animals, and these people are selling the animals, they're probably saying, oh, I can't wait. It's soon to be the feast of the unleavened bread. There's going to be many Jews coming. We need to get the animals prepared. It's going to be a great day of marketing. Boy, we can make a lot of money. It'll take care of maybe our entire year of expenses. And you see, that's what a thief does. A thief only thinks about what they want. Matter of fact, there's people who steal today and they'll take from somebody who's wealthy and they say, well, I needed it. They had more than they needed. They justify their behavior. And Jesus is saying, we've got to be careful. A relationship with God gets to the place that it's all about us. It's not about God. And it's what I can take out of it. It's not what I can give to it. Think about that in a church. You come through those doors on Sunday morning to connection. And if you come in and it's all about what you can get, you don't seek to relate to anybody else. And we're known as a church that isn't friendly. If you come in, it's all about how can God use you to give into the lives of others. All of a sudden there's relationship and people say, you know, that connection, those people are friendly. They really make you feel welcome. They love you. You see... If we don't understand this, we tend to be thieves and we take what we can get from God. We don't look and see what can I give that God has given me. And so he tells him this accusation. You're making the relationship with God which took place in the temple. You're making it all about what you can take. What you can get. And not about what you can give. Look on your, your handout. Look at the first blank. A relationship with God has only one goal. That's what the Scriptures tell us. And the New Testament is very emphatic about this. It has only one goal to glorify God. Not you. Not your family. Make that purpose anything else. And you will feel the opposite of the closeness of God in your life. You make this relationship that we call church, this relationship of worship, Bible study, connect group, whatever it is about you, and you just won't get a hold of that closeness to God. That's why some people can come for a while and they say, it's not for me. Because you see, they're looking, what can I get out of it, not what can I give to it? What has God put in me that can add to this body of people? See, uh, 
Kathy Taylor and Dean Taylor head up what we call our first impression when people first come. She says, hey Mike, we need another popcorn popper. And she's not talking about the machine, she's talking about the person who runs the machine. That's you and me, see? And so, what can you give? That's what it's all about. See, these people brought the animals. That wasn't a bad thing bringing animals so people could use it to give sacrifice. It was the only reason they brought the animals was what they could get, not what they could give. What do we give? What do you give? And how do you explain away? You can't give anything. You can and Jesus is having this experience here that day in the temple. And it's all about knowing the closeness of God. And these people don't know it. Because if they did, they would begin following Jesus. He's going to call attention to that. Look at verse 47. After that, He taught daily in the temple. Even though the people do not do everything correctly, Jesus didn't say, I don't want anything to do with the temple. He teaches daily in the temple. Look what it says. But the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the other leaders of the people began planning how to kill Him. Now, let me stop for a minute. Religious people always seek to destroy anyone who speaks against their religion. Religious people always seek to destroy, put down anyone who speaks against their religion. If you don't have a right relationship to your mate, and God brings somebody into your life to speak to you because you have become religiously wrong in relationship to your mate, you tend not want to hear that person God speaks. If God brings somebody into your life to speak to you about anything that you have formed a religion, which is always doing it the way you want to do it, okay? God brings that person to your life. You tend, oh, at first, maybe it tickles your fancy, but in time you say, no, I don't want to change how I do it. I'm religious in this. And so you just slowly kill that person. You separate them from you. And that's what they're going to do. See? They're literally, they're going to kill him. They're going to kill him. You may not kill somebody physically, but you will kill them in relationship. You no longer will want to hear their words. You'll say, I know what they're going to say. In your mind, you may not say it out loud. You say, but I don't want to hear what they're going to say because I don't want to change. And you see, they want to kill Him because they do not want to change. 48 says, but they could think of nothing because all the people hung on every word He, Jesus, said. You see, at this time, the crowd is still supporting Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus' words brought transformation to their lives. That's what it was. When they heard Jesus, they heard something that offered a better experience in life. And they hung on every word of that. Now listen, in time, the religious leaders are going to get the crowd convinced at least a crowd that shows up when it comes time with Jesus' trial, and they're going to convince them that Jesus ought to die. But at this point, the people, the crowd are caught up with every word Jesus is saying. But as often happens in times, people are going to convince the crowd that His words and His actions make no difference. He needs to be dead. To them. Be careful of being around people who are religious in life. That they want to just kill off what God wants to do in you through your situation. Remember, every situation we have is an opportunity for us to use what God has put into us for the benefit of others. Now look at Luke 20. Look at the 20th chapter. Let's, let's go into the 20th chapter. One day, as, and I would recommend you underline the next seven verses, so when you read this, those verses will, I mean, next seven words, I'm sorry, next seven words, because when you read this, down the road, those seven words should stand out. They says Jesus was teaching the people and preaching the good news in the temple. Why do I want to call attention to this? Now, now let me stop for a minute. You see, this isn't exciting. A blind man's not being healed. 
Zacchaeus, who's, who, who is stealing from people, isn't changing his life. We're seeing Jesus encountering religious people. And it's a lesson that we need to learn. It's, it's, it, it, it's not exciting. Because you see, I don't like to hear sometimes when God uses my wife to encounter that I'm only living for myself in, in relationship maybe with my sons and daughters or, or, or whatever they want to do or in relationship with other people. But God is speaking. And I have to contend with that and hear God so my religion can change in relationship to the way I do things. And Jesus is having this encounter in the temple. And He doesn't run. He doesn't say, okay, I'm going to leave you people in Jerusalem. I'm going to go back to Galilee. Because the people are welcoming me in Galilee. If you were with us at the beginning of Luke, you saw that. He stays there. And what does He do? He continues. Jesus was teaching the people and preaching. That is a... That is absolutely, now listen to me, that is absolutely essential to Christian growth. Teaching and preaching. Now Satan has taken that word preaching and he's made it out to be a bad word. Don't preach at me, the kid says to the parents. Is that right? I don't need to hear another sermon, somebody says to their friend. Is that right? You see, Satan has used that as bad. Jesus is teaching and preaching Teaching and preaching is absolutely essential to Christian growth. Connection makes it a priority. Listen, I'm going to tell you, we're not going to be a church that's going to get too diverse away from that until we have more people who we have to give more jobs to because everybody has to use their gifts, everybody has to use their talents. And so you begin expanding then. But we will not move away from the importance of teaching and preaching. Look, Sunday morning, what is our emphasis? It is gathering together in worship and we hear preaching. And then what do we do? We have connect groups on Sunday afternoon and Sunday evening and Monday and Tuesday. And what do they do? They teach. Hey, by the way, we're looking for someone to become leader of a connect group on Wednesday and Thursday. That way we can be having preaching or teaching every day of the week. New Testament says that's what they did. Daily. And we're trying to move to that experience. And then, and then what do we do? Friday night, we get together what we call Celebrate Recovery. And what do we have? Teaching in our large group experience and then sharing in our small group experience. You see, preaching and teaching is foremost in what connection does. We have people who mentor. And you know when they mentor, all they do is teach. They listen, they hear, they bring in ideas that might speak to the person's life they're mentoring. Teaching. And what do we see? We see transformation taking place in people's lives. We've got to be careful ever that we lose the emphasis. Jesus has the emphasis there in the temple, right there in the place where people want to kill Him. He doesn't run away. He doesn't stop. He sticks with it. A lot of teaching. A lot of preaching. Because it makes a difference in the lives of people. And I'm going to tell you, if you are a religious person, caught up in wanting to do it your way, Satan will tell you you don't need this kind of an experience on a regular basis. You don't need this diet. And you know what it would be like, and you've heard the illustration before, if you didn't eat regularly physical food, you would be weak. And if you don't regularly hear the teaching and the preaching of God's Word, you're going to be weak. And you're going to become self-oriented instead of other-oriented as God would want. That's what's going to happen. Look on the screen. Look what Jesus said trying to explain the connection between Him and the people from, the, from John. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you stay joined to me and I stay joined to you. See, if you stay joined to me 
and I stay joined to you, then you will produce lots of fruit, but you cannot do anything without me. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, you got to stay connected to me. And I'm going to tell you, you don't stay connected to Jesus normally at your workplace. You don't stay connected to Jesus normally at home. You don't stay connected to Jesus normally when you're out playing. Now, I'm not saying you can't at work, and I'm not saying you can't stay connected at home, and I'm not saying you can't stay connected when you're playing. But then you've got to be working with people who talk about Jesus. You've got to be in your home with people who talk about Jesus. And you've got to be playing with people who talk about Jesus. And many people do not do that. And what happens is, you end up getting caught up with the people who influence you. You begin talking, saying words, speaking like them. You begin dishonoring God like them. You begin making decisions based upon what you want because you see you're religious in the way you live life. I'm going to live it the way I want. And you're controlled by that. So Jesus says, I want you to understand, you must stay joined to me. Teaching, preaching is how we stay joined to Him. You must stay joined to me. And I stay joined to you. And if you use the gift and the talent God gives you for others, you're going to stay joined to Jesus. And look what he says. He says, then you will produce lots of fruit. That's why sometimes you are on a spiritual high with God because you saw yourself giving yourself and the fruit was there. And you know who gets to enjoy the fruit? Not only others, but yourself. You grow a peach tree in your yard and you pay attention to it. You will pick peaches and you will give them to your neighbors. You will give them to your family. But guess what you'll do on some days when it's hot and you're thirsty and you're tired? You'll pull that ripe peach off and you'll bite on it and you get to enjoy it also. See, then you will produce lots of fruit. But Jesus says, you cannot do any of that without me. And folks, you can be as religious as you want to be, but you will not experience God's closeness. That was that first blank you filled out. If you always make it about you and not about others. Well, look, he goes on. Verse 1, he says, we read the first part, he says, the leading priest. Now look at the relationship Jesus talking, look what those religious people say. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders came to Him. These are high-ranking Jewish people. These are people who know the Jewish tradition. These are people who ought to know what God wants. These are highly respected people. They are. That's how they can manipulate the crowd as we move on in Luke when it comes to Jesus' trial. Verse 2 says, They demanded. Now look, underline the rest of verse 2 extremely important. It's important for my life. It's important for your life. Because you heard me set this scenario up that Luke is telling us about that Jesus encountered that day in Jerusalem. And look what it says at the end of verse 2. It says, by what authority? They demanded. Okay? By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the right. In other words, they remember what he did in the temple. Remember, when they were selling the animals. Okay? Been doing this for years this way. Just, just sort of scraping a little bit off the top. Cream off the top. We're helping the people, but we're getting, we ought to get something out of this. And Jesus says, what you are, you're a bunch of thieves. My temple should be a place of relationship with God. Conversation with God. And all you're doing is acting like a bunch of people who are getting what you want, not even thinking about what God wants. And so they come to Him. They say, hey, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the right? Who gave you... You see... Both Matthew and Mark records this incident just before, the week before He is to be crucified. John tells us early in the ministry that Jesus took some, took a, made a whip and drove out the people that were doing this. 
So here he did it early in his ministry. He ministers for three years, and then he comes back to the temple again, and he again says, you're doing it wrong. And so they are tired of it. And they said, tell us, by what authority do you do these things that you do? Telling us, driving us out. Who gave you the right? Now folks, they've already decided they're going to get rid of him. They've already plotted to kill him. But they ask a very insightful question. Who gives you the right to tell me that my life must change? Who gives you the right to say I'm not doing my faith or my religion correctly? Who gives you that authority? See, up to this point, Jesus is very well accepted by the crowd because His words bring transformation into their life. But these guys are being confronted with wrong behavior in the situation they are in. And they want to know, who gives you this right? What authority do you have to tell us we're doing it wrong? And that's always the question. Listen to me. It's always the question a religious person says. I remember the first group of men in the army that began mentoring with me, Christian men. And I would say to my wife, why do I need to go meet with them? Why do I need to take time out of my weekly schedule to be with them? I don't need that kind of stuff. You see, I was saying, what authority do they have? Who are them? Who gives them the right to tell me how to live my life? To change my weekly schedule? And I remember, I remember, Laura and I, we, we, we didn't tithe when we first were married. We're both Christians. I remember God began convicting me through some illustrations of people's lives. And I began thinking, who are they to tell me that I have to give like that? You see, because religious people are going to do what they want to do. Who needs to tell me that I need to do anything? By what authority? That's always the question religious people ask. Look at verse 3. So Jesus says, let me ask you a question first. He replied. In other words, Jesus is going to turn the table on them, okay? He's going to ask them a question. And this is fair. If you want to be in dialogue with someone, you ought to be able to converse with them and you ought to be able to ask questions. And that's all Jesus is doing. Now look what He asks, because you're going to get lost in this if you don't listen. Verse 4. Did John's authority, that's John the baptizer, that's not John the apostle, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? In other words, Jesus saying, you remember John? Now, John had his head cut off, okay? Because he spoke the truth, and a religious man who was political in his religion decided to kill John, have his head cut off. He had that power, okay? And these religious leaders, Jesus is asking them, okay, do you believe John is the one whom God says fulfilled Scripture that was spoken hundreds of years ago that He would point out who the Messiah is? And if you've been with us in Luke, I already showed you those verses, see? Jesus is saying, do you believe John the baptizer was the one who would point out who the Messiah is going to be? That's all he's asking them. Look at verse 5. They talked it over among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, you know, John's authority came from heaven, he will ask, why then didn't we believe in John? But if we say it was merely human, the people stone us because they are convinced John was a prophet. In other words, Jesus has put these religious people in the proverbial rock in a hard place. You following that? They want to know who gives Jesus authority. And so Jesus says, let me ask you a question. We're going to be in dialogue here? Then let me just ask you something. Who gave John authority? Was it from heaven? And they knew if they said it was from heaven, John said, he pointed to Jesus, and he said, behold, the Messiah, the Lamb of God. And these guys didn't follow Jesus as the Messiah. So if they said, 
it was John's authority, then they're not following Him. If they said Jesus has only human authority, you're just another human speaking to us. There's nothing about God involved in what you're saying. You're just another human with your opinion. They said, you know what? The crowd will turn on us. Man, this is... We're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And what do you do when you get stuck between the rock and the hard place in regard to your religion, your view of life, and God is encountering you? God is seeking to talk to you about how He wants you to change because He wants to bring transformation that is going to produce fruit in your life. What do people do? I'm going to tell you, they come to church one Sunday, two Sundays, they hear about this, and they know God is encountering them. And what do they do, folks, the third or fourth or fifth Sunday? They don't come back. They go to the Bible study, they know God encounters them, they don't come back. They come to celebrate recovery, they know God is encountering them because they developed a religion of compulsive behavior. And then they don't come back. Look what these guys do. Verse 7. So they finally replied that they didn't know. They're just going to walk away from this conversation. They're not going to to entertain the dialogue Jesus is having with them. I don't want you to talk to me about this. You know, it was sort of like early in our marriage whenever Laura and I would have breakfast. My practice was we'd just sit at the table. Not breakfast. Guys, who ate breakfast whenever I was that young? We'd have a meal and we'd sit down to eat. And she'd fix the meal, and I'd just get the paper. She's sitting over there, I'm here, I'm reading the paper, I'm just eating. One day, I've talked to you about how Laura related to me. She's spiritually mature, I'm immature. You think you could maybe eat without reading the paper? What are we going to do then? Could talk. I was religious in how I ate food. Had a book, paper, whatever. Watched TV. But God worked. But not right away. I just don't want to talk about it. Religious people don't want to talk about it when God is encountering them to change. We don't have an answer for you. They just walked away. Look at verse 8. And Jesus responded, Then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. In other words, you won't dialogue with me? Then guess what? I can't dialogue with you. And oftentimes, folks, in our situations, and I could try to throw out illustrations, in our situations, Jesus comes to dialogue with us. Maybe it's through an experience like this. Maybe it's through a friend. And what we do is we say, I don't want to talk about it. And he can't continue dialoguing with us. We refuse to entertain any of those thoughts, any of those ideas that he wants to bring into our lives. So I want to ask you this. I want to ask you this. Do you believe that Jesus has all authority? The Bible says He does. Listen, not just authority to get you to heaven, to get you saved. Do you believe Jesus has all authority? Not just authority. Jesus, Lord, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm saved. Do you believe He has functional authority within your life? By functional authority, I mean authority to tell you to forgive your mate. Authority to tell you to obey your parents. Authority to tell you that you should not have sexual relations outside of marriage. Authority to tell you that you you should become a blessing to those who have hurt you. Authority to tell you, functional authority to tell you that you should not miss opportunities of worship and connect group. Listen, I'm not telling you to be legalistic on this. I'm talking about does he have functional authority that tells you you need to get rid of those things that causes you to separate yourself from the activities God wants you involved in. 
See, that's what real authority is all about. Real authority is that Jesus is the leader and you're following Him. Not me. You're following Him. And when you follow Him, listen. He will bring transformation to your life. Look at the last blank on your message map. Fill in that blank. Does Jesus have such functional authority within your life that is evident to those Don't miss that, because your family knows that Jesus has functional authority. It is evident to those who know you best that your life is altered, changed, transformed, because Jesus has authority over you. I'm going to tell you, people who give Jesus functional authority will, for that period of time, see transformation, change take place. If you decide He doesn't have authority and you walk away, I'm not going to dialogue with you anymore about this, Jesus. You'll end up becoming religious again. And that transformation just won't be experienced. The change will soon fall off. It's not because it's not possible. It's because you decide to end the dialogue with the Lord, God of all. Does Jesus have functional authority in your life? If He does, I'm going to tell you, you will experience transformation. You will experience change that will cause you to to know the closeness of God and experience His peace and His patience in a world full of conflict and sin. Are there any questions? Let's bow together and then we're finished. Father, thank You for Jesus' encounter. Thank You for what we can learn from that. And God, help us as we are encountered in our religious behavior. That we would not end our dialogue with Jesus, but instead we would continue listening, hearing what He has to say. That we might continue to have transformation take place in our lives. That what You have given to us would not be used for self only, but would be used to become a blessing to others. Help us, God. Sometimes it just gets hard. Sometimes it just gets hard to hear what you're saying. Father, we ask these things In the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.